This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is the amazing drummer Michael Bland. A lot of us became familiar with Michael Bland when he joined Prince at the age of 19 in 1989 and was his drummer until 1996. He was part of the New Power Generation Band and was one of those musicians that just made an indelible mark upon this iconic artist. Not only did Michael work with Prince, but he also went on to work with Paul Westerberg, as well as Shaka Khan, Maxwell, Dion Ferris, George Benson, and many others. Since 2005, Michael has been the member of the band Soul Asylum. Even before Michael started working with Prince, at a very young age, he joined Dr. Mambo's Combo, a house band at Bunker's Music Bar and Grill, a local club in Minneapolis, Minnesota, that many musicians know about and had an opportunity to experience Michael's playing. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So we've been wanting to get Michael on as a guest for a couple years, ever since I had a great drummer, Patar Yannick, on. And he lived in Minneapolis and kind of came up there and saw Michael as a mentor. I had a chance to speak with Patar, and he gave me some great ideas about what to talk about with Michael, as well as a, as a good friend of mine, uh, an old friend, Victor Broden, who's a wonderful bass player, who uh, adores Michael and is playing for obvious reasons, and he has a, an amazing podcast called The Lowdown Society, and has had some great guests on there. Uh, but also a big thanks to Noah Levy for making this final connection, uh, one of the guests that we had on just a few weeks ago, who's also a uh, big part of the Minneapolis scene. So big thanks to those three guys. Really appreciate it. And of course, huge thanks to Michael. Uh, he uh, delivered uh, beyond expectation as far as what we covered. Uh, we went off the rails a little bit, but I was so thankful that uh, we did. And um, I just, I so appreciate his time. And I think this isn't going to be the last we're going to hear from Michael. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Michael Bland. My first real gig was working for Prince. So that's all day, all night, man, you know? I know. So I learned right away, like, get your rest. 
you know this is right this it's fun but it's not for fun you know yeah yeah, yeah. I, I find it fascinating that it's like the bar was set so high as far as the work demands the time demands for you that i bet everything else was just like okay if i can work with prince i can pretty much handle just about anything yeah nobody there's i've never worked with anybody who worked harder than him i mean he had a lot of he was imbued with incredible gifts, but that had, it had nothing to do with the work ethic. Really, it's like that's a guy who had a lot and gave a lot, you know. And it's 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 a it's uh, it's I don't want to say it's just like a Midwestern trait, but I've worked with musicians from different parts of the country and parts of the world, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a grind that goes on in Minneapolis that doesn't go on anywhere else that I've been. That's interesting. I'm from Columbus. I'm from Ohio. And oh, you know how it is? Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I, and, 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 of course, there's a lot of transplants. Nashville, it, there's very few native Nashvillians, right. uh, except my kids. You know, they're, they're like the only ones that I know that actually grew up here. But basically, everyone's transplant. And it's really interesting to kind of get a feel for everyone's style, their, 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 their mode of thinking, their mode of, of work, their, you know, all these kinds of things. And just trying to adapt to that. Um, but Minneapolis has kind of been on my radar recently and I've been on the podcast radar. Uh, we've had uh, lots of great drummers on from Minneapolis and most recently Noah Levy and a big, oh, yeah. big thanks to him for uh, making the connection uh, between you and I. And um, so I want to say that as well. Uh, and I want to talk about Minneapolis, but I also kind of want to start off with a, an, something that I heard you talk about in a, in a great Prince dedicated podcast, uh, and you talked about if there was a place you were going to move, like later in life, kind of the next stage of your career, and it might have been just in the moment, just at the time that you were on this podcast. You mentioned Nashville as a yeah. place. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I, I'm still considering it. Um, I'll probably uh, I've been saying I'm going to make a pilgrimage down there, but I, I want to go and some of my, some of my friends are in town, so. I can be, you know, I can I can go where the action is, you know. Yeah. So um, maybe in the fall I'll, I'll go down there and take a look. But uh, yeah, I um, it's um, you know, I mean, I've played there within the last couple of years with Soul Asylum, and I realize it's a lot of it's it's felt like spring break down there, like, <laughs> and it wasn't like spring break; it was just a regular Friday or Saturday night. It was like, oh boy. Like Nashville has really changed. It's a, uh, it's a much more. Uh, it feels to to me, like a much more metropolitan city. Like it's not not everybody in Nashville says y'all no more. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. You know, it's a, uh, and also there's a lot more, a uh, lot different, a lot of different music happening there now that yeah. didn't used to. But uh, I'll, part of my my um, uh, initiative was uh, based on the fact that. You know, it's just country music and CCM. They're two of the only places where you really hear real drumming anymore if it's going to be on the radio. It's, you know, pop music is dominated by, you know, samples and programming. So, you know, I figured at least I could go out gracefully, you know, in a place where I, you know, you know where, where they may have some use of me. I mean, on an, <laughs> on an industrial level. I mean, I don't mean to simplify or, you, you know, come off, you know, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not angling for uh, 
you know, uh, I'm, I'm not even what, sure what the word is exactly. I'm not trying to pose more simple than, you know. No, no. Consider myself. I'm just saying that's the real reality of it. Well, is when I go, sorry, go ahead. There's, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of work in Nashville right now. There's a lot of people moving there also, but um, a good friend of mine um, uh, uh, moved there like right back. Like I was gonna, I joined Soul Asylum. And I, I did a one-off with the Dixie Chicks for the Katrina hurricane, mm-hmm. and they they tried to hire me to go on tour, but I had just joined Soul Asylum, and I'm like, I can't just, you know, gig jump like that. A lot of ca- cats can do it. I, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Once I give my word, I'm that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I recommended a, a friend of mine named Fred Eltringham. Love him. Do you know Fred? Okay. I do. Yeah. I recommended him. Fred. He was, uh, I guess, uh, Jacob Dylan was either going solo or taking a hiatus. He and his wife were, they had a baby on the way. And he's like, man, I, you know, I, it's like, you know, the, the, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. I don't have a job, you know. And so I threw his name in the hat and they took him, they took him straight up. And I think that may have been his foyer into the Nashville thing. And you look at him now, he's, he's cutting with everybody. Yeah, he's been he great. Everything. And he's been with Show Crow for probably six, seven years. Well, yeah. when we started the podcast, I think he was uh, probably the first one of the first fifty interviews I had, uh, mm-hmm. and that was that was great. I've, I've become a huge fan, and it was brought to my attention that he is on the uh, I think it's two thousand seven Tears for Fears record. Ah. Um, everyone loves a happy ending, and. It's one of my favorite records and my family's favorite records. And he he just destroys it on there. Just been such a huge fan of, of Fred's for a long time. And then yeah, he has, was, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. And then then what? Just it's the stuff that he's been doing more and more in Nashville and you know, shows up on a Vince Gill record and the stuff he's doing with Cheryl. It's just it's great. Yeah, he was a great he was uh, uh, right away I knew uh Fred had something going on. Like he he was playing in a in a band called uh, the Gigolo Aunts. Yeah, and they were. I was on tour with with Paul Westerberg. They opened for us. Oh, cool! And every every night, I was from the side of the stage checking Fred out. I'm like, wow, this dude is a really great drummer. How come I've never heard about this dude? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so I was happy that I could do him some sort of solid. That's you know, amazing. a bit later on, you know, when when they came calling. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's been interesting because uh, my my wife and I moved here in. I moved here like in 2000 and we got married and, and brought her down from Columbus. We both grew up in Columbus and, and it was a very metropolitan type vibe that we had. And she was unsure about coming down to the Southeast. And, and she's like, I give this two years and then I'm out, you know, and uh, we've been here for, you know, over 20 years. And uh, she works in the nonprofit world and, 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 and deals with uh, many, many people uh, in the community and so she's kind of got her finger on the pulse of what's been happening in the city from that perspective while I'm in the <clears throat> entertainment, you know, end of it and see the, the, all of that different side of it. It's really interesting. We come together and talk about those changes. And so, yeah, uh, it would sure. be amazing. Uh, I, I, I think it'd be amazing to have you down here. You know, there's just been so many, uh, you, you know, uh, Patar Yannick. Yeah, Patar is all he's practically my son, man. <laughs> that goofy dude. He came he came uh on a scholarship to a music school in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And um 
a, a colleague of mine sent him down to down to this place where I I play every Monday night called Bunkers Music Bar and Grill, and um, you know he kind of you know I can I can always tell when there's a, a drummer in the room and they're gawking and they're kind of you know how they respond to what you're doing or what you're what you're playing, yeah. And so I, I you know I already had an eyeball on him and he was just this young kid from Serbia just got to town and I you know I <laughs> I didn't want to encourage him because I didn't know if he had any talent. So, you know, I you know, I gave him, you know, I was polite, probably, and, you know, and uh, he kept coming around. So I got a little salty and I was like, okay, man, listen, next time I see you in this club, you're going to sit in, you're going to play. And you must know some of this music by now, yeah. you know. So I put him on the hot seat. He played great, you know, and um, we developed rapport and, you know, he's uh, he's uh, not only one of my favorite drummers, he's he's one of my favorite people. I, I, yeah, I really love Batar, and like you know, it's uh, I'm really happy uh, that he's you know coming coming to his in, into his own and you know getting his own endorsements and whatnot. And I don't have to borrow him anything anymore. <laughs> he, 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 he can get it all. <laughs> yeah, well, and and I just I spoke to him the other day, kind of in, in anticipation of speaking with you, and uh, you know, we were just playing catch up because he was on the podcast maybe two years ago, and okay, he was just getting ready to make the move to Nashville, and he's settled in, and he's he's finding his thing. I I knew he would, you know, and it's just and again, like you say, there's the talent, but then there's also the person. There's also kind of that receptive quality that is uh, less spoken about you know, when you're coming up and it's like just being receptive to all these things, all these changes, keeping your ear out. And he was such an inspiration uh, to hear his story about how he was going and watching and just kind of just in it a hundred percent, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. when he was first seeing you and, and uh, yeah, no, it was really amazing. And I've got a couple things from him that I wanted to ask you about, but um, on the, on the, um, on the Nashville thing, I, I know when you worked with Nick Jonas, you guys were down in Nashville. Uh, was that just after the Prince? When did you work with Nick Jonas? Oh no, that was that was. Um, we recorded the album, uh, the Nick Jonas and the, and the Administration album, mm-hmm. in I want to say spring of two thousand nine okay. at Black at Blackbird. Yeah, in Nashville. Yeah, and. Uh, the tour happened like like in December or into into January probably. We were doing TV things and whatnot on the way up to it, and then uh, yeah, toured for maybe a little more than a month, and uh, and that was really it. That was you know it was a it was an expensive machine to keep together, and we had a great time. But uh, you know all all good things you know. <laughs> right, 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 right. Prior prior to that. Uh, through a friend of mine named John Fields, who's a record producer from Boston or Medford, I think, originally, but um, moved to Minneapolis like in 1990 or so, uh, maybe slightly before. Um, he and I worked on a lot of records in Minnesota, and then he started getting more calls to do work out in L.A., and he, you know, fly me out for sessions and whatnot. We've just been been great friends and worked on a lot of records together over the years, and um he um he kind of was the the one who uh greased the gears. Uh he produced the Jonas Brothers first record for Hollywood Records and so he had strong rapport with the entire roster really. We we cut on Demi Lovato, 
we did something for Miley Cyrus, I think. Yeah, we did. Um, so it's, you know, I got to a little taste of that world for a little while and it kind of, it eclipsed or it, the summit of it was Nick Jonas and the administration. And that was a, a lot of fun. They treated us like pure gold. Uh, I, I would, I would do anything they asked me to do from this point forward if, if they were to, cause, uh, that's just how, how good the treatment was. That's how much respect they gave us and, uh, how much of a, a great time we all had. So. That's amazing. That's so great to hear. Yeah. Uh, uh, was uh, so the owner of Blackbird is John McBride. Yeah. Did you get mm-hmm. a chance to meet him or? Yeah, you know, he took us in the oh, here's here's the uh, you know the original compressors from Abbey Road. You know, he took us through the whole collection and whatnot. He had, you know, all the Beatles gear and yeah, yeah, it was yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I'm not that much of a like a gearhead, but I mean, it's like well, whoa, dude. I mean, who's not. Who in this business is got, not going to be impressed by the fact that this dude's got the 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 actual components flown over, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 such an amazing studio, and and it's and over the last you know twenty years, how how much it's grown and and different things like that. I I, I had a chance to I was working with a band, uh, being their touring drummer, and they hired Steve Ferroni to come in and play on a record at Blackbird, and so. I was the uh, I was the drum tech and hung out there for the for for some time, and uh, it was really funny to see Martina Martina McBride. Oh sure, come in and drop the kids off because you know it, she needed to go run errands and so uh-huh. you know walking in and what what's going on? How yeah. much more Nashville can can you get? <laughs> well, we were driving into the lot and Brad Paisley was just kind of walking slow, talking <laughs> to a friend, but. Paul David Hager, the uh, the engineer on the session, uh-huh. was kind of uh, he's from Boston, so he could get a little, you know. Hey, man, you know, I think he might have honked, or he kind of mm, like <laughs> the dude turns around. It's Brad Paisley going, "Oh, hey, oh, sorry, man," you know. <laughs> Yo, Brad, move your ass, man. Kind of, yeah. Like, okay, well, here we're all equal. Everybody's here spending money and trying to get something done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Brad just kind of walking like he, you know, he's having a a real country moment, <laughs> walking down the side streets. Oh man, that's that's so great. Um, <laughs> I I want to talk about the Minneapolis scene. Just kind of we we've, we've been on that, and and there's just again, there's so many, so much great talent, and 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 you know, great bands that have come from there. And um, I want to talk about kind of. What, you got a drum set when you were about nine years old, is that right? Yeah, it's, wow, man, you got the full dossier before all this, huh? Right, right, and your blood pressure, uh, you want the exactly. that checked? Uh, um, diastolic versus uh, systolic, diastolic, I can't remember. <laughs> That's more than me. Some, some kind of stolics. That's more than me. Yeah, all right. Uh, no, <laughs> I... I, I it, it's, it, I'm just, I'm fascinated with this this time frame uh, of when uh, now I know that, that you have a you you have a history of like learning instruments and 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 you have perfect pitch and and so you have this thing that just you're predisposed to just musicality and this 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 ease into this craft so uh, it makes me uh, I'm just I'm still fascinated with this uh, again this time period from when you got a drum set to when you landed the gig with Prince, which <laughs> well, is like 19 yeah. years old. I suppose it's a very, it, it's, yeah, it's, that's it. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know what to really tell you. It's um, you, you hear musicians sometimes say like they didn't choose music; music chose them. That was very much my experience. It was like everything just kind of fell into place. I didn't even really know I wanted to be a drummer until I heard this band rocking out in like the basement in in a house across the alley, back alley from 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 mine when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And in Minnesota, that you know, you get the basement view with the windows outside. And I looked down, I went over into the yard and I looked down uh, down the window and it was like the drums were set up right there. So I, I'd hear these guys rehearsing. I'd come out and go over and I was watching what the drummer was doing. His name is Jeff Corbett, actually. Uh, I'm friends with him on Facebook. Oh, really? Great. <laughs> yeah. The, the first guy I really saw drumming, like, whoa. You know, and eventually, you know, I got caught in the yard and they kind of brought me in the house and, you know, I got to sit behind the drums for real and kind of check it all out. And then I probably, you know, probably a couple of days uh, of bashing the garbage cans, you know, the garbage can lids and whatnot. And then my dad got me a kit. But uh, the well, the the condition was I had to take lessons. So I I studied with a guy named Floyd Thompson, who is a. uh, well-respected and well-known teacher in Minnesota. Um, uh, he and, uh, well, I and uh, Gordy Knutson, who yes. plays with Steve Miller, we both studied with Floyd. And uh, Floyd is still alive and well. And uh, I haven't seen him in some time, but I, I really want to. Because uh, well, we're none of us are getting any younger, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because, you know, 10 years right now at this point in our life is just is a blip. And so it you really think is. of, and you think of that time. I mean, was was there something that he introduced that Floyd introduced to you that kind of gave you the skills that helped develop you at a, at, at a pace that got you where you needed to be? He was pretty hard nosed from the get go. I remember standing there while he was telling my dad, like at my first lesson, if he said, "If this kid doesn't have any aptitude for the instrument, I'm not going to take him." So right away, he was just like, either you had something that he, he thought you, he could work with or you didn't. And that's kind of how he chose his students. So I caught on pretty quick. So things continued. And I kept studying with Floyd all the way up through probably till I was 16 or 17 from the age wow. of nine. Okay. And, uh, you know, we were getting into like reading, you know, like, uh, like, uh, you know, like, um, what the hell, how do I put it? Like uh like music for like marimba or like okay. like concert instruments. Yeah. Uh, you know, chimes and timpani and we were starting to do all that. But uh I, by that time I was gigging so much I really didn't have time to study. So he kind of said, "Well, you know, when you get your <laughs> you know, your schedule together, we'll continue." And that kind of never happened. I, you know, Started playing with the combo when I was seventeen, and by the time I was nineteen, I was in Prince's band. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's I, I, a lot in between that I could bore you with, but I mean, that's really it. My dad got me a kit, and I kind of it's, it was just kind of unknowing. It was just sort of like this is what you're supposed to do. All right, so I just kind of I don't know. It's like I feel bad for people who don't know what they're doing here because everything was so clear for me. One thing I, I find found fascinating with your story was just this coming up of, and I, and I think I'm from a similar generation. Is 
you just you just work hard to if you want something you just do it and i'm not going to give you a participation award for everything that you do along the way and um and i wonder if that prepared you for doing something working with prince and just being being in it 100% and 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 following that um, i'm i'm quite certain that that it that it had an effect it, it shaped my psyche and my uh attitude towards the world and i guess what i wanted to do in it mm-hmm. definitely i mean whatever it was going to be uh you know the i learned very early you know from my dad telling me there's no substitute for hard work wherever you go two things you you're going to have to answer to someone and you're going to have to you anybody can get something keeping something is a different headspace entirely right. and i thought about that you know, a lot when I first joined Prince's band. It's like, well, how hard is it going to get? Because, you know, it's it, we went through the honeymoon phase where it's just like I would hang out with him in the studio. You know, like there was no, until the real work began to put together a, a show to go on tour. That was when you really got a sense for like the intensity level and how much time you really had to put in. But I mean, he didn't really sleep that much, so... You know, I'll, I, I get called in for a recording session, you know, two o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, a, a lot, you know, or wow. I, we'd be there, you know, there'd be late night parties. George Clinton will be hanging around, Mavis Staples, uh, you know, somebody coming in into town who was, you know, played in town recently, you know, yeah. like uh, Lenny Kravitz would come and hang out, you know, um, you know uh, Terrence Trent Darby. Came Terrence Trent Darby, you're right, right, yeah, right. Before he changed his name, actually. Um, and so, it, you know, it's a, there's a lot, there was a lot going on all the time, but, um, I would say to prepare for the nude tour in 1990, we probably rehearsed, wow, I want to say probably rehearsal went on from sometime in March until June, like March, April, May. Yeah, uh, almost the same amount of time to put the show together as the tour was. <laughs> so my goodness. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's all going on in Prince's facility in Paisley Park. You know, the stage you're going to be playing on is the one you're rehearsing on. You know, so Jeez. it's he did have that home court advantage of being able to do everything in his own place and then take the show out on the road. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and when you do that, that means you know everything. You everything is happening right now. And so, you know, there there were days, consecutive days, when I didn't even go home, <laughs> you know? Wow, wow. I assume he had places for you guys to stay there. Well, I, I mean, you could always grab a cat nap in the Studio A lounge or fi- you could find somewhere. Uh, but, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, that no, you, you go to Paisley Park, you're there to work. You're not there to nap, you, <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, no beds. No beds. <laughs> it's all right. Wow. I mean, I was nineteen. I, I I had I had a whole life to give him, and I tell people all the time that that really was like a young man's gig. Like by the time I was twenty six, you know, and he got rid of us, it was it was it was time. I was a grown man, like trying to, you know, I couldn't operate or plan my own life. I was, uh, you know, um, beholden to a a, a a a pager that could go off at any time, day or night. Yeah, tantamount to being yeah, trying to tantamount to being a fire a fireman or something, you know, just like oh, ah, okay, uh, you know, I get up and I go, you know, 
Yeah, it might be exactly. It might be a you know, it might be a a real blazer, or it might be you know, just a just a little. (laughs) You never could tell with him. Sometimes I'd go out there and we'd sit, and he the inspiration would just kind of dissipate. Oh, we're not going to do anything, you know. And I'd go back home. (laughs) Goodness, yeah. I know it's this is well documented, but just kind of just curious for bringing people up to speed, like how he found you. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, actually, um, the band was playing pretty exclusively at Bunkers, but it started to branch out and took an, a, another house gig more in central downtown at, at a place called the Fine Line Music Cafe. And this would have been... Uh, it was Dr. Mambo's combo, but I had another gig across town on the West Bank that I was already doing. So I couldn't do these Wednesdays because I was already booked. And Prince went down to the fine line. And uh, I'm not sure if he was just out that night and just, you know, curious about like what was going on. Mm-hmm. But he walked in to the fine line, recognized Margaret Cox, the lead singer, from uh, Tamara and the Scene, which was a band that Jesse Johnson put together that had a number one song in 13 countries called Everybody Dance. So he recognized Margaret, asked his security to ask her to, you know, back to his table. They start talking. Then they go to the limo and, and continue talking because it's kind of loud in the club. And Prince tells Margaret, wow, you guys really sound great. And she's like, oh, thanks. Uh, you should hear us with our with our normal drummer. He's this kid from Southeast like me. And, he, and, and you know, Prince asks, like, he's, oh, he's, he's, he's that good, huh? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You should come down to Bunkers on Monday. You know, lo and behold, here he comes with his full crew, you know, <laughs> comes in like maybe the Monday after. And, uh, you know, it's, I, he sits in, and, you know, we... We talked a little bit beforehand, um, uh, but you know, I thought, "Oh, wow, well, that was that was pretty cool." Got to meet Prince; he was kind of kind of a kind of a nice guy, and uh, yeah. And I didn't really think much else of it, although people were like saying, "You know, I was I would be just anywhere." And like, hey, I heard you got the job with Prince. Hey, congratulations! And, like, I don't know who told you that, but I don't have any job with anybody. Yeah, I'm a, you know, I'm a. <laughs> I'm a student at Augsburg, you know, Lutheran College. I'm, I'm you know, right, right, studying Christian the- Lutheran theology. You know, really, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I, whatever job this is you're talking about, I, I haven't heard anything myself. So, you know, but uh, after um, he threw a party for Bon Jovi. Actually, it was a tour he did where uh, it was a tour Bon Jovi did with Living Color, and. They, everybody was out at Paisley, you know, late on a Monday night. And Prince invited us to come out there. Living Color is like blazing. And he just kind of kicks them off. And we jump on. And, you know, and he starts kind of joking about like, hey, you looking for a job, son? And, oh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, very, very funny. Uh, you know, and like two days later, he calls the house and uh, offers me an actual job. And I'm so naive. I'm asking like, well, do you think I'll have time to finish my fall semester? And he just starts, <laughs> he just starts cracking up. He says, "No, I, I think you're probably going to be a little too busy for that." You know? Yeah. I said, "Well, when's the earliest something might happen?" And he, uh, uh, we have to shoot a video in June, so we shot the video for Party Man from the Bat- Batman soundtrack, like in that June. Uh, you know, July and August, we kind of just recorded and kind of you know kicked things around. 
And then the first public like like TV performance I did with Prince was um uh the 15 year anniversary of Saturday Night Live that September. Mm. Uh, we played Electric Chair from the Batman soundtrack. Mm-hmm. The, the footage is out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah, then the ball started rolling pretty quick towards uh Graffiti Bridge, the album and the movie and you know, I'm in it for about three seconds, and that's okay. But I mean, you know, and then after that, we started focusing on the nude tour. So I was in, and things were up and running. And yeah, by then it was like, oh, I see. This is going to be a little bit of everything all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah. was it like recording with him, especially in the early days? Did was there a lot of direction from him? Was it just throw and go? I hired you to be you. What what was that like? Uh, I think he was kind of vetting me, just trying to just trying to see what my musical instincts were. He didn't give too much instruction early on. It would just be him and I uh, for the first. I mean, for the first few times I recorded with Prince, it was just me and him. He'd play piano, you know. I'd play drums, and you know, he I'd hang out and watch him. You know, he move from bass to guitar to keyboards and. You know, the whole time we're just sort of chatting about music. Like, what do you like? What are you into? You know, what drummers, you know, influenced you? You know, have you ever heard this? Maybe you should listen to that. You know, a lot of that. Like, I like a real mentor. I, he, I had a real, like, m- he was really a mentor to me. Like, he really went out of his way to educate me about the music that sort of, sort of shaped his uh, approach and, um, uh, you know, I'd, we'd be sitting in Studio A and he'd have a f- turntable that was always set up and he'd call the housekeeper, she'd bring over some records and he just would play them and talk. It was like he was giving me like a, a college lecture course, yeah. you know, in, 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 in American music. You know? Was there some commonality w- between you two as far as maybe some of the drummers that you both liked or music that you both liked? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, he definitely was into Dave Garibaldi. Yeah, like I think that was Morris Day and Prince both uh, thought Dave Garibaldi was was it, you know. But um, it, you know it um, it's uh, I mean he listened to everything though. We talked right. about the the Pretenders one day for about ten minutes just. You know, the different records and what songs he liked and, you know, the influence it had on, on you know, on on his musical consciousness, you know. Um, his early manager would hip him to a lot of, like, new wave, like Gary Newman and Pear Ubu, Gang of Four, like, wow, some real radical music. Prince, you know, had a very open mind. And as a black person in Minnesota, you got to have an open mind because <laughs> it's not, nothing is catering to your blackness. It's all, you know, it's 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 all whatever you just, the, whatever the, the radio happens to be playing. We had one R&B station and they had such low wattage, you couldn't get a clear signal if you drove into the parking lot to try to listen. You know, it's uh, KMOJ, God bless KMOJ, 89.9. Yeah, they're still around and they yeah. still serve in the community. But uh, I really think at some point Prince... It had it been to his advantage in some way economically and not maybe just a, well, not a liability, but, you know, I, I think that he really w- wanted his own radio station. He, he he probably should have bought 
KMOJ and increased the wattage and and you know made it made it more than it, it was at the time. They got there. I mean, it's yeah. still community supported, but I, I I always had hoped that Prince would just buy KMOJ and just increase the wattage and just you know just keep black music alive in 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 Minnesota. <laughs> you know, it's uh, but you know, much like Sonny and Andre and Prince, I grew up on more or less FM album rock because KQ ninety two runs everything from here to 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 at least Hudson, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so a lot of you know Stones, Zeppelin, Bowie, ACDC, uh, all of that, Boston. Yeah. Uh, that's what that's what I had growing up. Like if I was listening to the radio, my sisters were into like Motown and Sly Stone and uh, Stevie Wonder, Jackson Five. Uh, before I could even read, they would do a, a like a comparison test. They'd hold up like you remember the old like Motown forty fives. They were like purple or like dark blue with silver, and they had a star where like Detroit was at. Yeah, like yep. part of those. They had like uh, one of my sisters had like superstition, and then she had like I want you back, and I was probably three years old, and they're going, "Do you want to listen to this one or this one?" And I one of them I chose more often than the other one. I don't remember which one it was, but they said it was almost like you knew what you like you were reading, and I wasn't quite, but I did start reading pretty early. Okay. Um, but I didn't, I just, I don't know how I knew, but it, I think like nine times out of 10, it was, I want you back. Yeah. Well, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, anyway, it's just like, there was a lot of different music. My dad listened to Al Green, Ramsey Lewis, Shirley Scott, you know, uh, James Cleveland, uh, uh, Lou Rawls, like all of that, you know, mm-hmm. like, so I, I had a pretty, there was a smorgasbord going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and man, I hear it. I hear it in your playing. I hear these all these influences. And, yeah. and 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 for people that maybe the entry point to Michael Bland is Prince to see you play with, you know, uh Paul Westerberg or Soul Asylum, uh it, they're like, "Oh, I get it. I hear this. I hear, you know, it's like a, you're mm-hmm. just to be able to still be you." but bring something that works really well in those situations. Yeah. I know rock music more than I know a lot of music later on as I matured or, you know, got, you know, taken down certain pathways. I really, you know, uh, my palate really widened, you know, Prince had a lot to do with that. Also, I would, um, one of my favorite things to do was to, uh, go in the studio. If I knew he had been working in there, I'd go in the studio and check, the CD player to see what he had been listening to, mm. you know, it could, and it could have been anything. Uh, I, I mean, uh, one time I think uh, I saw the Rite of Spring, yeah, in there. Uh, 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 another time I think I saw a Weather Report record. Like he had a real vast sort of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he he just just loved music, and yeah. uh, we had that in common. We talked we talked about Dolly Parton for ten or fifteen minutes one time. <laughs> Just standing in the hallway. He Prince loved Dolly Parton. Thought she was just everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, people are still talking about her and more so. Well, yeah. She's still days. everything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, mm-hmm. man, what a what an amazing 
person, and especially in these times, it's it's what a glorious uh, person to have around. Well, she's uh, she's true to her heart. You know what I mean? It's that's the thing is that you can tell when somebody is operating from a, from a pure place of compassion. I, I mean, Dolly you know, doesn't need to do another thing in her life to be you know one of the most beloved. Most uh, most successful, you know, artists in the history, you know, of music. She doesn't have to do anything, but she's still sticking up for, you know, for people who need somebody to stick up for them. She's still an advocate. She's, you know. Mm, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Was there something that Prince would express to you about what he liked about your playing or something that you brought to the table I, I didn't really know how he felt about my playing until Miko and Levi kind of mentioned something at, at rehearsal for the new. They're like, man, he said, uh, they, uh, I think Levi was the one who said, man, Prince really respects your drumming, man. I said, why do you say that? And this is not meant to be, you know, backwards or taken any kind of weird way. Uh, but they said uh, that. When Sheila was in the band, he would all, you know, he give me the sticks and get back there and start, you know. I don't know why, but he they made they made they had just a different kind of relationship. But those guys interpreted it as like, you know, he didn't really really want to sit behind my instrument, like, like it was, I I don't know, like he had some sort of thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. They said it was, you know, they thought of it as being respectful, but uh, you know, I'm just like, well, what? I'm only playing what you know what what he wants to hear. Why would he, you know? But he had a a a I he could possess a kind of reverential, um, not of people, but for the for the for the craft for the art, you know. And uh, I heard Terry, uh, not Terry Lewis, but Jimmy Jam say, because uh, in the New Power Generation, Prince's mentor growing up was Sonny Thompson, and Sonny was supposed to have been in in. The revolution. He was supposed to be in the band much earlier, but you know, uh, um, it was either Terry or Jimmy who said, you know, it's to to be able to play and work with you know somebody who taught you takes a certain kind of humility to have the to to have them in your band and to be you know, it's something you got to be prepared for psychologically. And I think it took till then. You know, uh, for Prince to really, you know, like invite Sonny into the band and have his mentor in his band. You know, it had to be kind of a head trip. But um, and Sonny and I together, the first time we ever recorded together was like, this is it. You know, this is pure love. So, you know, and that happened on Prince's watch. We had Sonny and I had never worked in the studio before. Interesting. And just one day. Tommy Barbarella and Sonny and I, we were working on uh, a different project, a house band for the Glam Slam Club in, in 91. And uh, Prince caught us after rehearsal. We were headed downtown, and he caught us right before we left. And that's how we ended up playing on Diamonds and Pearls together, mm-hmm. the song. Mm-hmm. He had an idea for a song, and he needed a couple of people to help him work it out. Mm-hmm. So that was it. It was like right away. It was like, okay, we got a unit. And that rhythm section recorded almost everything together from that point forward. Yeah. Me and Tommy and Sonny, Levi, Kirk played percussion, Kirk Johnson. Like, it it was a lot of those tracks, those hits, it was like old school. Like, Cream, that's us playing together at the same time. It's, you know, very few overdubs, you know. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. Especially in a time when people were really, you know, going to the lab on, on stuff. Like, right. people weren't recording that way in, in, in pop music at that point, I don't think. Not really. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, a, a, a good friend of mine, a bass player who lived in Minneapolis and then Nashville, and I think he's in, he was in LA and I think he's in Las Vegas now, Victor Broden. I don't know if you've ever oh, heard yeah. of him. I, you know, I, well, again, we're, we're friends on Facebook, as mm-hmm. I can tell you for sure. And uh, yeah. we've probably had intermittent go, go, you know, we've gone back and forth before probably. Uh, I you, don't really know him, but. Yeah. You, you and Mickey Curry are his top favorite wow. drummers of all time. Well, I, then he can he can lump me in with him and say Mickey Curry is like one of. <laughs> I think Mick, Mickey Curry was incredible. Yeah, probably yeah, still yeah. is. I just haven't yeah. heard. Him super super sweetheart too. Uh, so uh, Victor's been running a podcast called uh, the Lowdown Society for okay. a few years now, and he had Sonny T on. Yeah. But he, uh, you know, I said, "Hey, man, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be talking to Michael," and, and he goes. Please ask him. There's a couple of different things. He goes, please ask him about the drum fill and diamonds and pearl. And it just it's about the two forty two minute forty four mark. That this yeah, right around the bridge area. And I, I, I'd love to just like, could you break that down a little bit, or how that came about, or was there anything to talk about? Not 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 a whole lot. I was telling um, uh, I, I was telling uh, Calvin Rogers. Um, that it was just two takes. Like, we went in the studio, we ran down the first take, and Prince made a couple of decisions in between the first take and the second, which were, you know, that hole in, in the in the bridge where, where you go to E-flat, nah, nah, put something in there. Because I had left it open the time before, because, you know, it was kind of like, Prince, you know, if, you, if you're not, if I didn't ask you to do nothing, don't do nothing. <laughs> kind of, you know. Yeah. So I wasn't going to take that kind of license, you know. So I left it open. He was saying, okay, we'll put something in there. We're going to do this one more time. Put something in there. And then, you know, change the kick drum pattern here. And you know, I think we, also we we took out, like, we made one bar, like, three, four, like, after that whole bridge and everything. Uh-huh. Like, going back into, like, the last verse. Like, I took a beat out. So we did that. Uh, you know, we got that, got the other thing, and uh, then Prince was like, well, "Then just you know, put something in that spot." So the whole take, I'm like, "What am I gonna do?" You know, what what does he mean? He didn't give me a, you know any instruction or any sort of like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. space to to work from. Just like play something, put your hands down, and you know, do something you're gonna want to hear. You know, years later, and go, "I did that." You know, so that's kind of what happened. I just sort of, um, uh, I had been playing around with this figure that I, 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 this sort of, it's not really like a, it's a flamma something, flamma triplet, flamma, and it's kind of a displacement, not an exercise, but it's like, imagine like, uh, wow, I don't know if I can even really. It was like six triplets, but groupings yeah, of four. Group, yes, it's like a one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. But it's, yeah, but, but over six, you know, over six. Yes. Uh, okay, over six, well. You've got it. <laughs> there it is. That's exactly it. It's like both left, right, kick. Yeah. Except you just, you know. Yeah. Instead yeah. of waiting for the next, you know, quarter note to come around, you just keep going. 
In it's the, powerful, like a, man. It is so powerful. It's so. Good. I really don't know why that's what came out of me, but that's that's that was what I had to say at the moment, and it just it changed my life. Well, well while we're in this uh, little bit of uh, drum geekdom, can we talk about uh, sh- the SHH oh, track? Well, yeah, you can. We can talk. <laughs> Sure. That intro and then the midsection. I mean, God, good Lord, dude. How did that happen? Was that another just throw your hands out and see what happens? No, that was a little more uh, – that was a little more of an idea Prince was trying to get across. Like it was like more of a – we talked a little more about that. And um, the original version of Shh was uh, on a record Prince – uh, produced some songs for by a singer named Te- Tevin Campbell. Tevin had been in the Graffiti Bridge movie and had a song called Round and Round. He had been discovered by Quincy Jones. He was on Back on the Block. It's this young kid. And uh, so Prince was trying to, you know, kind of usher him into like his, his teenage years, you know, with the shush break it down. And, you know, the it was a little explicit for a kid his age, but, you know, uh, Anyway, we were rehearsing this song because we had a, a a big party coming up for the NBA at Paisley Park. We were hosting, mm. and uh, Tevin was going to be there. Salt and Pepper, a uh, bunch of people showed up. A lot of athletes. They were having some big game. The Timberwolves were having some big game in Minneapolis that like that weekend, and uh, that was a man. That was like three days of like almost no sleep. Three or four days. Oh just rehearsing and camera blocking and, you know, uh, just, uh, it was crazy. Um, uh, anyway, we re- worked up this arrangement for Tevin, but Tevin wanted to do Can We Talk, which was a big hit off of his record. And so Prince was like, well, I'm going to do it. And if I'm going to do it, then, you know, I want to, you know, let's get some, he kind of just, you know, just kind of showed me kind of like, I, we're going to play the hits and you're going to fill up everything in between, right? Mm-hmm. So it took me a minute to kind of figure out all that, you know, and the um, actually the first time we played it was like, there's footage of it, the, the, of, I think it's called like the beautiful experience. It's like a the DVD that had come out and the first time we play it is in that, in that, uh, in that is documented in that special. Uh, by the time we got to the studio to record it, I had a much better idea of what I was trying to, you know, get going. And it was sort of somewhere between like Diamond from the Ohio Players, like I want to be free, kind of there, but also kind of like a sort of like a, I listened to a lot of Billy Cobham records when when I was yeah out. yeah yeah yeah. So there's some of some of both of that. Like a little you know, there's some gut bucket, but there's also you know. Not nothing too sophisticated, but you know, I try to keep it at a at a. I try to keep most of the things that I play at a, at not a low comprehensive level. But I'm not really playing. If you're into Dave Weckl or somebody who's a much more complicated, you know, can can do much more complicated things. I'm I'm not the guy for you. I'm honestly like a a, a pocket drummer with a few chops. That's really that's really who I am. I don't play. Uh, I can I can play with sensitivity, but not. I don't have a lot of ornate. You know, it's it's mostly it's mostly business with me. It's like I don't play anything. I don't think should be happening. 
I'm not playing for the drummers in the room usually. You know, Prince would step on the gas, you know, kick me in the, you know, kick me in the backside. Come on, play, do something, you know, play flashy. And then it'd come out. So that's kind of what Shush was, but, you know. Yeah, right, 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 right. No, no, I, it's, it's, I find it fascinating because I, I felt like that was, that was a moment where I could just, I could hear a lot of different influences coming out in, in just that, that short moment. It's like, man, I, I'm hearing some like prog rock stuff going on here there's yeah well okay listen i, I was young once i listened to a lot of rush records too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but then i like a friend of mine like brought led zeppelin four over and i was done so it's yeah you know, yeah it, you, once you hear when the levy breaks it, it it's yeah. going to change you somehow yeah for sure yeah. no I mean, just the fact you mentioned billy cobham i'm going oh, okay yeah 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 yeah, There's some of that in me. Yeah. I just yeah. like, I had a brother in law who would bring those records over. And I like, uh, Spectrum, uh, no, not Spectrum. He brought over like Inner Conflicts and like Trade, trade Crosswinds, I think was one of them. Uh, I didn't dis- discover Spectrum until a while later, which was okay. weirdly, it's like his best known record. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's just really amazing. Uh, and, and then the last song I want to ask you about is, uh, and, and just kind of like introducing this idea that maybe happened more often or than people realize is on P control, huh. you and Sonny T jamming. And that's kind of was the impetus for this track. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, you know, I mean, it's an understanding when you go to work for, for Prince that you're probably not going to get no, you know, no credit, like no writer's credit. I mean, unless you, you know, unless you're working on like a lyric level or like real like chord structure oriented, like, I don't know what it would take. Some people got co-writes, Sonny and I did not, you know, and uh, pretty much he just, yeah, at the center of P control is a loop of me and Sonny just kind of doing our thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Same thing for... uh, I mean, you know, we we managed to hand over a few over 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 the years. Um, Thirty one twenty one was just Sonny and I were just jam just getting tones for the engineer, and yeah. Prince walked in the airlock and heard what was coming out the speakers and was looking out in the room like, you know, and kind of he said something to the engineer and st- you know did the cool the cool jog over to the the, the, the strat. What key are we in? What's this? What's this? Like, we're just jamming, man. I, mm, okay, oh, wait a minute now. You know, he got on the mic. And, okay, we're going to roll on this. And <laughs> just that quick. Not only is it, you know, did he did he jack us for another one, but it was the, the, the title track to the next record. It, you know, it's... <laughs> so, so amazing. You know. so amazing. Yeah, I mean, he he knew it when he... He knew... He knew it when he when he heard it, you know, and it's you know it's. I'm not saying that he was a. You can't call him a thief. It's like you're 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 making this stuff up on the premises. You know that you know the deal. So it just I was always uh, uh, it was always uh, confounding to me what he found what what he liked. Like we would just be jamming and oh. Sometimes he'd just come in, he'd pick up his guitar, and we'd just stop doing whatever we were doing. Mm-hmm. And other times he'd just, he'd, you know, slightly, you know, he'd, like, kind of jog over to the guitar and try to get in on it. Like, whoa, okay, wait a minute. We got something. And, well, we we had something. Now you got something. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? It's, right, right, right. It, we weren't the first. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, he just... Uh, 
he 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 was a uh, 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 he knew where to borrow from. Yeah, 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 right, right. You know. and, and on the opposite side of this, uh, you you've mentioned that uh, there were there were times that you had to kind of adopt his ways and style to play in his band. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and could you expound uh, expand upon that? Uh well, Maybe. I mean, sure. I mean, it just like he um, he had a very sort of a. Uh, I mean. Prince was a really good drummer himself, you know, he mm-hmm. had amazing, like, independence and could do, you know, like, he really was a student of Garibaldi, like, it's like, he, you know, a lot of, like, backwards, you know how, like, Garibaldi has, a like, a lot of, like, things you would expect the, the kick drum to do, like, he would reverse the roles of the, of the, you know what I mean, like, uh, Oakland Stroke, it's like, mm. things, advance and crossover and it's like oh, oh you you normally would play that on the kick but instead you're playing it on the snare and the kick drum is doing this and then the hi-hat is following it by you know a 16th note and you know what i mean it's like it's a displacement but everything is moving forward yeah 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 almost it, in different directions it's like there's a linear Prince, linear yeah. thing going on yeah for sure yeah i haven't had really had a chance to really talk to to dave like I want to talk to him about like just his headspace. He's oh, he's the nicest guy you ever want to want to meet or speak to. We um, I, I was doing a podcast with a friend of mine called Music Politics, and um, we would talk about music. We talk about politics. We talk about you know whatever we wanted to, and we decided to have a uh, a birthday podcast for David Garibaldi, and Dennis Chambers joined us. Uh, Sheila E joined us like a, a a bunch of cats. Mike Clark. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, it was incredible. Um, and uh, but I haven't really had enough one-on-one time with Dave to really get into his headspace. He's a very articulate. He can explain to you everything he's doing mm-hmm. and where it came from, so on and so forth. I just haven't really had that moment with him yet. But um, well, we we have yet to have him on as well. Uh, and um, uh, gosh. How cool would it be, like to uh, to rope you in and co-host that? Uh, oh, hey, listen, like that. I, I, <laughs> I, I you, you name the time and the date, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just just talking out my ass right now, but I'm just. It's thinking, okay, or right. you could do it by yourself. I mean, just I'm just letting yeah. you know if you want to do it, I'm I'm down. But if you want to do be, it, that would be amazing. That would That's be amazing cool too. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. I've been such a fan of like, and, and, you know, my, 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 uh, my crush on Matt Chamberlain, uh, led me to David Garibaldi, uh, sure. you know, mm-hmm. later in life, not later in life, but, but throughout my uh, upbringing and then just discovering tower power and then just being a consummate student of, of some of those grooves, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're printed on my, pr- on the wall in my practice room. Like the, the, I'll work on this stuff for the rest of my life. You know, yeah. along with 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover and, you know, all these other yeah, things that just exactly. need to be this, the litmus test for where I'm yeah. at. I've been you trying know, to play like, play the, the intro to Squib Cakes correctly for the last 20 years. <laughs> 25, probably. Uh, I'm going to add shh to my uh, practice routine. <laughs> all right. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Muse of Politics. Uh, I, I, uh, uh, Patar mentioned uh, this this podcast is it still around is it accessible are you doing it what's what's the story with that no there's there's old episodes on youtube and i think some of it can be found on facebook but i mean um you know it was born out of uh a place of uh 
frustration and confusion. I got off the road with Soul Asylum in 2020 due to COVID. Um, like it happened and we just, the rest of the tour dates got, they just went away or got rescheduled for a later date. Um, we were out like from the beginning of February until mid-March. And then uh, our last show was at the Terragram Ballroom in LA. And I heard the bar manager talking to the employees, talking about how they were going, the capacity was about to go down to half. And, you know, that this, well, this this virus is spreading and so on and so so forth. And, and we didn't really know because we had been on the bus, you know, mm-hmm. with like, you know, iffy internet and iffy, you know, uh, like satellite TV. Like, I, you know, I wasn't, we didn't really know what was going on. And uh, so when we turned around and came back to Minneapolis, I, I got in the van, my wife picked me up and she just starts telling me, well, first off, you're going to be quarantined for 12 days. And, uh, you know, we're going to need to this and that and the other thing. And it was just, I was like, what happened? Yeah. You know? And, um, so, uh, it took, you know, it's like, it was months in the house, just like, wow. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, people are wiping down their groceries and whatnot and trying to, <laughs> you know, the whole thing's insane. You're scared to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, sort of anxiety coupled with uh, the killing of George Floyd sort of brought on like, uh, like I need to get do something with all this energy. I need to make sense of all of this. Yeah. And uh, so we looked at it as an opportunity not only to uh, – vent our you know our rage but also to uh to maybe uh highlight uh, uh not specifically but it turned out to be mostly people of color mostly women who were uh involved in the judicial system who were involved in science we talked to a a, a woman in Bermuda She's uh she was working on like studying the coronavirus for the government. We talked to judges, we talked to lawyers, right. we talked to people who are, are specialists in environmental racism, people who had a you know I mean it's uh it's uh we really covered the gamut, uh, shared a lot of information, made a lot of other people upset, and uh, and that's pretty much you know uh, good trouble. what music politics was about. Yeah, good tr- exactly. It really was about the good trouble. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just um, discussing a lot of things that a lot of people were uh, afraid to, or you know, just polarizing subjects. I mean, it's the, the Minneapolis Police Department. <laughs> this is this. It was nothing new when they when they killed George Floyd. Again, through the miracle of you know technology, you know, had there not been camera footage, who knows what they tried to call that thing in. As a uh, a medical incident, <laughs> they tried to say, they, "Well, in the middle of apprehending a suspect, we uh, there was a medical incident." They tried to say that's what happened, and until the footage showed up, you know, it would have gone down in the books like that. Yeah, and, and that happens more often has been happening, you know, yeah. Yeah. for for years. I mean, you a, a lot of people I know now are too young to remember the Rodney King beating, you know, but that was the first taste of like, you know, white society, 
you know, and people who are maybe even even minded or even handed about it, like, oh wow, this goes on, you know, like it, it was kind of a, you know, uh, like a, a a conscious moment for you know mainstream society that yes, LAPD beats black dudes often, <laughs> whether they're resisting or not. Yeah, a lot of you know, so it's it was um, it was very interesting to see. Uh, how that moment went worldwide. Once the footage came out, you got people in Germany marching for Black Lives Matter. <laughs> you know, right? I, I, I never thought I'd live to see such a thing. You know, but you know, you let the generation turn. You know, and give them something they're not used to seeing. You can't tell these days. Like you know, God bless the cameras because otherwise it'd be you know a dead man's word against the Minneapolis Police Department. Well, yeah, yeah, even going back to Rodney King, I mean, there just happened to be a guy with a, a video exactly, camera, yeah, you know, pre-cell phone era. Yeah, he probably super eight, high eight, you know. Yeah, yeah. He caught a camcorder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it's 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 really fascinating. No, I, I, uh, it's, I produce a podcast that's about music and drumming, uh, but uh, a lot of what I listen to is steeped in politics and, and, and other types of, this this so I'm 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 just really fascinated. I'd, I'd love to listen to that. I'm going to check that out. Oh, this uh, I mean I I guarantee you know, some episodes were more popular than others, but it's yeah. we we had a lot of uh, uh, Dan Spiffy Newman, who was my co-host. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of real resources as far as ob- obtaining, you know, uh, uh, just powerful guests. Like just black women are the most educated segment of society now. In the United mm-hmm. States, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize that, mm-hmm. um, but they're in all sorts of places, you know. And um, you know, we we talk to a to a, we talk to a judge, we talk to a scientist, we talk to just and we talk to people who are are uh, battling uh, uh, structural racism in places that I didn't even realize it was happening. Like it was enlightening for me, also. To find out that, like, you know, there's there are these food deserts, yeah. you know, I like I didn't know anything about food deserts, and we talked to someone who purposefully would like, uh, uh, with some friends of hers, like, make produce available, just like go in to an inner city spot and just like together with her friends, like create like a, you know, a, like a like the like a farmers market. Okay, you know, and apparently like, it's. Yeah. Yeah, urban like, gardening or yes that sort of thing mm-hmm. and you know the cops would come and say you you're not zoned to do this so on and so forth and you know they'd say well then arrest us you know like it's it's uh you know what look, you're saying we can't feed hungry people with real food why how come yeah you know? yeah well yeah. do what you have to do we're doing what we have to do you do what you have to do uh, you know it's uh it's a, it's a real battle out there. <laughs> right, right. It's a real uh, battle. It, yeah, it, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, probably your listeners are probably tired of hearing me talk about my wife's work. but <laughs> What does she, she do? Uh, well, she works with the unhoused uh, here in Nashville. Okay. And um, she's dealing with the cops all the time. 
you know, and people see like, if, if you don't own a home, if you don't live, you know, you're committing some sort of crime and it's like, I'm sorry, being poor is not a crime. Um, and so, you know, they have safe places for people to, you know, try and, 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 and help as much as they can with, there's just so much structurally that they're constantly fighting against, um, so, yeah, there's a real battle on 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 poor folks, isn't there? Yeah, there's there's a ba- there's a real battle. Like there's a, I feel like, well, I felt it more when somebody else was in office, but like it's really like the agenda was to like just crush the spirit of those who are are the least fortunate. Just do away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it really yeah. felt like the aggression was uh, like the cruelty was the point. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. and and it, you know it's uh while the uh, the police officers were on trial for, for well while Derek Chauvin was on trial for George Floyd's murder, another black man got murdered. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's crazy. It's you trying to deal with one situation at a time, and it's just doing that. You know, it's really amazing. It's really and uh, amazing. and and the George Floyd bill hasn't passed yet. You know, it's a uh, that's frustrating. It is frustrating when it's like, OK, well, what? So that's, you know, that's supposed to be the well, he's, go, he's going to jail. He went to jail. So well, that's not that's not really where it ends, though. It, it's 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 an institutionalized situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, you know, it's a lot of people don't believe that, like, white supremacy is baked into the crust. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like yeah. everyone is a victim of white supremacy. I'm a. I mean, white people are also. You, you they, white people are victims of, <laughs> of, of the fables that the power structure tries to hold in place. You know, racism just doesn't just affect, you know, people of color. It's like if you could heal, what what white society needs is is to heal <laughs> and to come to grips with the fact that all this rhetoric about somebody's better than somebody else. That's that's not true. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's better than anybody else. And the sooner, you know, that idea can be digested, the sooner there can be healing for 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 white America. Really, you know, they they will uh, uh, white America will benefit more than anybody else because if you're a, a minority, you already see how everything goes on. You know, mm-hmm. like it's my job as a not my job, but it's my my position as a black person in the United States to look and understand whiteness in its entirety because it governs, you know, doors that won't open for me or you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Theoretically, at least. Well, I mean, theoretically, I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah, I mean, uh, but I mean, if not for me, for others, definitely. Yeah. You know, the boundaries are set by whiteness, like what is considered to be okay, what's not considered to be okay. Mm-hmm. The difference in, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, a black man getting charged with possession of marijuana versus a white guy, you know, with cocaine. Yeah, with powder cocaine. <laughs> yes. It's just, I mean, it's. Yeah, yeah. The I facts understand. are there, and I'm probably preaching to the converted at this point, so. Well, I appreciate you talking about this, man. We, and, yeah. and we've, we've, That's what we've, music politics is really about. We ran the gamut. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love it. I love it. We, we've, we've talked about this on this podcast, you know, in, at times when it 
when it feels mm-hmm. right. Well, I mean, when, when it when it comes up. Yeah. Not when it feels right, but when it well, comes it, up. It's, it, it's never going to feel right. <laughs> Yeah, it's but yeah, it feels necessary. It, and, yes, and, now and that I'll, yeah, yeah, definitely necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. I want to ask about um, current projects, Soul Asylum. I know you guys, you got that tour cut short. Back, yeah. I mean, we went back out to to, to make up for it. Uh, uh, when did we last July? Mm-hmm. We went out uh, for about six and a half weeks, something like that, and. Uh, so we went. I'm not sure if we made up any of the dates that had been there before. Uh, some of those might be actually coming up this summer. Um, okay. But we managed to successfully get back out and do it. it but it was, uh, you know, uh, it was a, uh, it, it, it was um, a daunting task because at the time that we were headed out, uh, everybody else was canceling. Like, yeah. The Foo Fighters, like, I mean, I think maybe Live Nation, like, everybody was just, we're waiting, we're going to wait this out, mm-hmm. you know, and we kind of went, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to, you know, let this scare us into staying at home, or are we going to just get out and, you know, see what this is really, you know, see what we can really do? Yeah. So, we opted to go out, and I'm happy we did, but it was in retrospect, a, a, a little reckless, and we ran into some some situations along the way okay. that uh, you know just you know like club owners who didn't want to uh, either you know uh, mandate masks or you know tests or so the best our tour manager Janine Anderson could do was control the dynamic backstage and on stage. Okay. So we just stayed, you know, scarce, you know, mm-hmm. and sort of separate from the audience at that point. And it still didn't stop people from coming on stage and, oh, hey, man. And, you know, you get people start drinking and start getting flashbacks to how they used to party in the 90s and whatnot. They, 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 can't, they can't be controlled. Right, you know? right, right. Not really. I mean, we tried to, but it was just like, and also in certain parts of the country, they were just really lax about it. Yes. He just didn't yeah. didn't really care. It's like, well, if I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get it. Uh, you know, yeah, and, and that's on me. Well, it's a little yeah, more complicated than that. Yeah. A little bit, but you know, it's like I understand the whole, you know, this idea. That, I mean, I don't believe in it, but I understand the idea that you know, people think something's being taken away from them. You know, I, I like I I understand that viewpoint. But that vibration is too low for me. Mm. Uh, you know, if you're not the best thing, in my opinion, you can do in this life is is to give the very top of your service, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're at, and to and to consider others is you know really one of those things that has been trampled by. This concept of rugged individualism, you know, that kind of governs, you know, a, a lot of uh, the society's sentiment. It's the sort of thing that, uh, and the, that's, the, the and the I Ameri- think this is an extension of that. Yes, the American uh, the, 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 you know, right, exactly. The whole I don't have to, and you don't get to tell me, and it's like, uh, yeah, you can't yell, you know. I can say what I want, wherever I want, and I want to. You know, I mean, it pretty pretty much, you know, culminated on the 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 January sixth run, the run for the Capitol. The, mm-hmm. you know, it's like 
All right. Well, they, they're not just saying it. They really believe it. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder, know. though, I some people, I think they get so caught up in, in, in this this narrative that that I don't even know if people know what they believe. They just they're like, I, I, I say this, I do this, I do that. But I don't really know why it is at the core. Some people do, but, uh, you know, they, they, they put their thumbprint on it and I'm like, well, I guess that's who I follow. You know, it, it's, it's unbelievable to me. But that will lead me to something that Patar Yannick wanted to talk about, which I thought was great. And you've mentioned it a handful of times in this, in this conversation is the idea of mentorship. Uh-huh. And, and, and you talked about being a mentor to him. You talked about, well, you talked about Prince being a mentor to you. And for Patar, you were a mentor. Uh, can you talk about just kind of the importance of that? Something that, uh, and the development as a drummer, as a human being, uh, how important that can be? Well, wow. I mean, it it can it it only has value if the if the mentor the well if the mentoree is listening to what you're telling them. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's like you have to, and this is not just musical. It's like if you, exactly, if it's an acknowledged sort of relationship, and it's just kind of turned out to be that way with Patar and I, just he understood where I was coming from. I could distill my thoughts about drumming and, you know, why do this instead of that to him in a way that he could, he could get, he could under, I didn't always have that, that uh, kind of success when I tried to nurture and bring other drummers, you know, young drummers up. Like they kind of they 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 kind of have a a different viewpoint about like the just the the industrial uses of the instrument. You know, how how much is too much? Like, well who are you playing for? You know, what is what are you trying to say with your instrument? Like I know what where where my place is in the music and it's to set it up for better things to happen. Yeah. I, I'm never ever playing for any drummers in the room. I don't they're they're not gonna pay me. <laughs> <laughs> there, then there's only one one drummer per gig. So yeah. what other drummers think about what I do is is up is is none of my business. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to keep the keep the crowd moving. I'm trying to keep the the band uh you know in a in a in in a sort of headspace of confidence that th- this this thing is not going off the rails, it's where it's at. It's solid. You can just relax and groove with me. I'm I got it. You know, it's like the the things you want to provide as as a musician, not a drummer. You know, it's like right. you have to be reliable. You got to play with taste. Choose your moments. Like, you know, you can say all this, but it it goes in and out of people's ears differently <laughs> yeah that's so, true and uh, but i also think that you you know you, you say i'm not playing for drummers and yet i know there's listeners that are going to be seeking out this conversation and they're going to want to hear what you have to say so okay. i mean i think you are speaking to the working drummer and, and again I, I i that's one thing that my co-host zach and i take great pride in is that at its core this podcast is speaking to those that want to make a living at playing music that's right. You know. I think there's a there's a video of me out somewhere where I was like, "You want to know how to make money in this business? Do this." And I'm just going, <laughs> 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 
for like a good 40 seconds or whatever. Right. It's like, this is really how you, if you want to have a career in this business as a musician and not as a drummer, I, you know, I'm not, I don't do clinics. I don't, you know, look for, for moments to take solos. It's like, if I gotta, I will, but you know, I, uh, it's, um, you know, and I get it, you, you know, young lions want to roar. They want to, you know, they want to do their thing, but I'm just like, that might impress your friends, but you know, the, the MD in your band wants you to play, play solid, you know, play the music with the right intent, you know, be dynamic, be sensitive to your environment, all of that. That's, you know, and that's those, those things, those sure industrial uses of the instrument uh, just have sort of been with me from the get go. You know, I just like, this is how I want to hear it. I want to hear it solid. You know, I I might play something every once in a while, you know, step out just, just a little bit, let you know I'm there, mark off the next section. But, you know, I'm not, you got to be generous. You can't be greedy. (laughs) There's a lot going on that you need to make room for. Yeah. 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 What I find fascinating, you talk about solid. The first thing that comes to mind is your snare tone. Is the oh, sound man. of your snare drum, man? I, 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 I'm trying to see if I can find it in my notes where I wrote this down. Um, I stumbled upon uh, something that you played on the Sons of Almighty. Oh, whoa, okay. And uh, I, I found it, and I, and I, I was, I was like, I wonder if this is, this is what I'm thinking it is. And I started playing. I just played a couple tracks on it. As soon as I heard that snare drum, I'm like, oh, that's Michael. Yeah, this is, this is the one. This is what I'm thinking of, and then you, and, and then one of the lyrics you mentioned, Sunny T, and all that. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, right, okay, this is it. This is what yeah. this is. You know, before I'm seeing the credits, and yeah, and it, it's that sound, man. It's that, and and it not only is it is it just because it's who you are. It's your approach. It's your tone behind the kit that is unique to you. Uh, it's also the placement of that backbeat. It's that. It's all those things that create this environment that. I'm hearing and going, well, yeah, if, you know, if I was Prince, I'd want that. If I was in this band, if I was Nick Jonas, if I was these guys, if, you know, Shaka Khan, I want to hear this. Shaka Shaka was so mad with me when I, I, I I left, I was, I'd been working for her about a year and that was really kind of my dream gig. But, um, a, a lot of the, just, let's say just like, uh, the peripheral aspects of doing the gig. It was just like, it, a lot of it was just uh, a little more than I wanted to, to deal with at the time. But the music was incredible. Our band was incredible. They were great to me. Uh, yeah. But I had the opportunity to go on tour with uh, with Maxwell. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was going to, I mean, it was going to be like straight 40, 40 shows you know, like being on on tour, tour like Shaka okay. was a lot of weekends and okay. maybe a week here and there. But um, I like just the, I couldn't turn it down. I had to I had to take it. I needed to make that money. Yeah. You know? And uh, yeah. I'm you know I'm sure she you know she she said whatever she said. I tried to steer clear of her for a long time. <laughs> and uh, after that tour, I think I think Sonny Emery had taken over for me on Shaka's gig, okay. and he got double booked and needed to be in Tokyo to play with somebody. I think it might have been Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh-huh. And so the, the musical director, Melvin Davis, called and said, hey, uh, hey, uh, would you, um, you know, 
Would you be willing to, to cover a couple dates Shaka's got coming up? She's playing Chicago and uh, somewhere else. And I said, I thought Shaka hated me. Man, no, man, CK's cool, man. She's all right. I'm like, I don't know. I've seen her. I've seen Shaka. You, know, you really tell somebody what she's what's on her mind. Yeah. And you don't really want that. No, no. <laughs> I hear it in the lyrics, man. Uh, yeah, she, ooh, Shaka. Believe yeah. it. She's the truth. I mean, you know, it's she's a human like everybody else. But man, every night the hair is just standing up on on, on my on my neck. Like she just she just brought it, man. And that that music, I came up knowing that music. Like mm-hmm. the first thing I did was, okay, well, Steve Ferroni played a twenty four. I'm playing a twenty four on this gig. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I already knew that music. It was already in my bloodstream, and yeah. it showed as soon as I sound. She knew. And she was looking at me and doing that shaka dance where 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 booty does that. And she <laughs> first person she's like, "Are you watching my booty?" I said, "Yes, shaka, I'm watching your booty." Because that's where the time was at. That's where the groove was at, man. Oh my <laughs> so god! I loved working for her. I just couldn't afford to stay at that at that point. And you know, I was sound check came at the gig in Chicago, and I was like, "Any minute, she's going to come out here and start cussing me out." And she didn't show up at sound check, so I was like, "Oh." All right, all right. Well, now, you know, if I could just get through the gig, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But on her way to the microphone, she starts yelling at me. I, we're oh, playing Once You Get Started. She walks past the drum riser. She gets close enough for me to hear what she's saying, finally. She's, and she's saying, you going to stay? Are you going to stay this time? You going to stay with me? And walks right to the mic. Ah! You know, <laughs> like, oh man, you know. But she was cool, and, and I've, I've seen her off and on over over the years. And she's she's always just the nicest person to me. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I love Shaka. She's I she's such one a of a fan. kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, put Patar asked wanted me to ask you about getting the Madonna gig. Oh wow, that was a <laughs> that was a very short, crazy ride. <laughs> okay, I don't know about oh. this. Oh, well, okay, I'll give you the, the gist of it as quick as I can. Um, uh, I was going through a, a dry spell. Nothing was happening. And uh, I was broke, man. And Michael Bearden, I don't know what made him reach out to contact me. Hey, man, uh, we had met somewhere probably. Uh, uh, Madonna's getting ready to go out. You know, we have an audition for, you know, for drummers, uh, you know, in two weeks. Uh, can you come out? We're gonna be at SIR in New York, and the, uh, yeah, man, uh, yeah, okay. So I had to, you know, uh, scrounge around and get enough money to like, you know, buy a plane ticket, and you know, I booked a hotel. And it's like, I, you know, like I was really like, the paper was so thin, <laughs> you know, and uh, I get all the way, you know, to New York. To look like LaGuardia, and um, I, uh, I I don't remember what exactly happened. I think I was I didn't have I I oh I had tried to like deposit some money in my account before I left, but it, it had it didn't show up yet. So I really was like at LaGuardia, broke, yeah. and uh, I had enough money to use. It was, this is like yeah, I probably. I'm trying to remember. I, no, I must have had a cell phone by then. I call 
uh, Michael Bearden. I'm like, this is kind of embarrassing, man. I don't have get, man. Just get in the cab. We'll pay for when you get here, man. Quit playing. You're late. You're late as it is. <laughs> so I get in the cab. I go. You know, the cab doesn't even stop good before Madonna's manager is grabbing the door. Oh, get get in there. You know, I'll pay. Right. You know, <laughs> I go in. I got my overcoat on. I got, you know, like my stick bag. I, I walk in. She's on the couch with Guy Ritchie just kind of chilling, looking like they've been bored all day. And the first, I, I am so sorry I'm late. I, we can get right to this. Just let me take my coat off. And so I go to the drums. It, you know, they've got like a an NPC uh, 60 set up. It's just playing click and some background. Yeah. Uh, you know, and not even like in ears, just like the clicks just coming out out of oh. the monitor. Wow! So it's just like this: is how we do we're doing it? You know, so yeah. that way, you know, I guess everybody could hear whether you're on or off. So yeah, you know, but no skin off my nose. I sat down, I took my coat off, and I'm like, okay, well, let's do it. You know, what are we what are we playing? I think it was La Isla Bonita, and another one that we I was supposed to study, and like four texts come out of nowhere, and they're like. Uh, uh, do you want us to, you know, what would you like for us to move? I'm like, nothing. Let's go. And they just start cracking up. I said, what's so funny? They said, the last guy took two hours to set up. What? I'm like, that That doesn't even sound, that's not, there's no scenario where I, that. Yeah, I, that's crazy. Said, Michael, I'm, I'm ready when you are. And they just go giggle and laugh and go off, go off you know, yeah. away back to wherever they went. And we start playing, and, you know, Madonna starts, I see her grooving, kind of, okay. Then she gets up off the couch and starts doing that, you know, that little, she got a little move she does, you know, just kind of walking across in time. And she's shaking her head and, you know, the thumbs up and everything. And, you know, like, oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming. And, you know, Bearden takes me aside. He's like, listen, man, as far as I'm concerned, you got the gig. So, you know. He drives me. He actually he invites me out to dinner. I'm like, great, because I got, I've got like, I, I might have had like a couple of dollars on me, but <laughs> you know, I get to the hotel. He takes me to dinner. He drives me off at the hotel. I'm too ashamed to admit to him that I don't even know what I'm going to do here. I call DJ Fafu, who walks two hundred and fifty dollars cash across Midtown to me to the hotel, so that I have enough to pay for the room. And, you know, and fair to get back to the airport tomorrow, you know? That's how crazy that was. Okay, I get the job. I go out to to Culver City for, uh, you know, for rehearsal uh, in the Sony lot. You know, we're there for, I'm there for like three days, you know, uh, checking things out and, you know, going through the music and, you know, meeting everybody. It's a great time. They, you know, they've got a... Uh, sponsorship with Apple and with Nord and like everybody's getting all these this gear for free and for like real like disgustingly low discounts and whatnot mm-hmm. and uh, basically uh, I'm there for three days three days uh, the the morning of the fourth her manager calls and says hey listen we uh, we've really enjoyed having you out here you're you're a really nice guy we appreciate it but uh, you know Madonna has decided she's going a different direction you know with the band a little bit. And uh, I said, well, did I do something, uh, uh, you know, did, did, did I do something wrong? Did I, you know, I didn't. Yeah. No, no. Uh, she just basically, basically said that because uh, she knew I had worked for Prince and she was about to head off into a whole, uh, 
What like year was electronic this? 2001. Mm, okay. So her thing was about to go completely electronic, and she just didn't want me sitting around, you know, bored, you know, and unexcited about, you know, the same thing going on every night, you know, playing a bunch of triggers and whatnot. So she decided to get somebody who was used to doing that who would probably maintain their interest, you know. So she's just like he was saying. Well, basically, it's you know she's like your big league. This is a little league now. She's doing something else completely different. She doesn't imagine you're going to enjoy it very much. So she just thought maybe she'd get somebody else. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Uh, you know. And then I find out, uh, you know, shortly after that, Michael Bearden's gone. A bunch of people got got sacked that day, and so it wasn't just me. She was really making like, gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and you know, she, she was probably right. You know, it's like, well, I, you know, I could have sat there and made that money and just hit triggers and whatnot. But, you know, so they gave me some severance money and I, that's, I spent Madonna's money that summer. It was, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it was, it put me back, you know, it put, put me, put me in the, in the, in the, in, in uh, the black, so to speak. <laughs> So she solved my financial issues long enough for me to, you know, get on the next train. So, so you're like you're like hanging out with people and say, "Hey, man, let me. I, I got this coffee. I got Madonna money." Yeah, that's Madonna. No, I didn't, like a level it was, of it was nothing to brag about. To be honest, it's like I'd never been fired from a gig my whole life, and then to have to. I and I knew there was a reason. Like on the inside, I hadn't told too many people about the job. Like I, I don't know. Something in me was like, eh, "Don't count your chickens yet." Yeah, yeah, and for I, sure. I stayed quiet about it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, except one person blew me out of the water at a gig I did before I left to go audition. Okay. And, and uh, but it was just uh, a weeknight somewhere at like a barbecue joint, like I was playing, you know, a, a pickup date with a friend. Gotcha, gotcha. But uh, word got out, and then it's like, well, what? Hey, so I I laid low for the first like month or so when I got home. I didn't do nothing. <laughs> I didn't strange. want people, oh, so sorry to hear, man. Well, what, you couldn't hang? You know, it's like, you know, people make up their own minds about, you know, why it, things didn't work out. So I just, I don't but know. I, and and I just, <laughs> this is that whole thing. Like, uh, I don't know, like, especially like, you know, in the in the uh, early 90s between like Prince and Michael Jackson and Madonna. I mean, like those three right there. And I just kind of wondered, you know. Sure. I, I almost uh, I almost played for Michael Jackson too. I got a call from, from his MD. I was on tour with Paul Westerberg actually at the time, mm. and uh, they made it sound like it was you know uh, it was an ace in the hole. Like it's all it's all done. Like you're the guy. And meantime, in the meantime, they were also talking to Sonny Emery mm-hmm. and talking to somebody else. Sonny, who I think was just out, uh, maybe he lives in LA. He just went over to the place and just started rehearsing. Like, he just basically bullied his way onto the gig. Michael had not had been, had been not really been put in, and they hadn't really discussed all this with him yet, apparently, because Michael came walking in, and Sonny was behind the drums. What I heard, uh, and uh, Michael said, call Sugarfoot. He knows my, my music already. Wow. I don't know why they hadn't in the first place. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Moffat's been, you know, yeah, with MJ almost on everything. Yeah, you know? yeah, interesting. Except for when Ricky Lawson went out with him. Okay, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's, Jonathan was with the, the Jacksons. Destiny Tour, you know, he was he was the man. 
So, but uh, yeah, so I quit Westerberg's tour to sit at home and wait to, to get the word. And the word never came. And I, he calls uh, on his second leg of the tour. Brian McLeod came out to cover it for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they had a, a, a somewhat of an altercation that I can't really get into. But Paul called me that night and says, hey, when do you leave for that Michael Jackson tour? I'm like, I don't think I'm going, man. It's, it's been two weeks, and no, I heard, heard from, from nobody. I, well, what are you doing? I'm like, watching Jerry Springer and eating rum raisin Haagen-Dazs, dude. <laughs> Trying to make myself feel good. <laughs> well, I could use you in Albany, you know, early next week. You know, if you want to finish this leg of the tour, you know, so-and-so, such-and-such happened. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. So I go back out with Paul, and <laughs> one of the first things we do is play, uh, well, we played Albany, and then we went to New York, and we played uh, an in-store at Tower Records. I step out, you know, in front of the Tower Records to just get some air and kind of, I see some fans hanging around, and I, I get a, I kind of peep around the corner, and there's a line like, way like a, a really long line of people trying to get into this thing and one of the dudes in the front says hey i heard you turned down michael jackson to, to to come back to work for paul dude that's awesome man yeah yeah they started yelling <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and so i just kind of yeah oh okay great uh, yeah good let's go with that i go back in the building like oh <laughs> i'll let them believe what they want <laughs> that's amazing i love that yeah, I can't lose. I can't lose, man. No, no, man. I love that. <laughs> let, me, let, hey, let me ask you one more thing. Like, you, uh, Do you have this new project called Urban Classic in town? Yeah. yeah. It's just being a, a bunch of my, you know, my, uh, my ne'er-do-well friends getting together and playing music we all love and enjoy. That's all. It's not really, you know, it just, um, I kind of got home from tour and um, I I had different plans. Uh, I was just going to go back to work at Bunkers with the combo and whatnot, but I, um, I really felt like I wanted to do something different right now. Okay, I'll always be a member of that band, no matter where I go or what it's, I do. It's been a, it's been a while. It's an institution. They, yeah. you know, they can't they can't kick me out. I've just been on sabbatical. That's all. Yeah. Um. Uh. And uh. You know. Some. Uh, I just wanted to play some music and try my hand at, at uh, you know, being musically d- directing a little more and uh, yeah, just kind of stretch out, you know, gotcha. just be in charge, you know? Yeah. 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 And uh, you know, and have people just, you know, not have to beg people to do what I want to do. They, they, you know, I, I hired them based on the fact that they want to do what I want to do. So right. it's been a 100% gratifying experience Tommy Barbarella is playing keys with me in the band. So he, he and I, we go way back. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's just friends, old friends, new friends, playing music that we all, you know, are into. And it's um, somebody asked me recently, like, well, what is it about playing covers? Like, why do you want to do that at this point in your career? Mm. And I tried to explain that, just, you know, it's not just that. For me, it's the, the music we're playing well, the music anybody's playing. Music conjures memories, you know? And it, it takes, it transports people. It transports us too. Like, it's almost like method acting. Like, you're playing this music and you, you know, you're processing it from your viewpoint or your perspective or your artistic, you know, uh, 
mm-hmm. whatever is within you, like your connection with the music is making it, is changing it some, but it's like, it's completely in, in respect too. you know, like I, 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 I the audience has memories. We got memories. We're calling kind of all enjoying this music together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's, it's all love, you know, I, right. I don't, I, you know, I try to explain the guy. It's not, it's, 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 it's really is about just like appreciation for the music. The audience likes what we're playing. We like what we're playing. And, uh, you know, we're all sharing our, you know, we're, we're all kind of just collectively enjoying. That's yeah. kind of all yeah. what's, what's going on, you know? And, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun doing it, you know, uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll be able to do a few more shows through the summer. Soul Asylum is not going on a tour, like a proper tour this summer. We're doing, you know, a lot of shed dates and, okay. you know, soft tickets, weekends, you know. Okay. We're, you know, because, yeah, I mean, we've done, the last couple times we've been out, like, it's really been like us and Local H from Chicago. Like, okay. just kind of bare knuckling it and just kind of, you know, fighting the good fight. And it's like, yeah, no, let's take it easy on ourselves this summer. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll be we'll be out, but we won't be going for weeks and weeks. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, th- th- this has been just like a joy to speak to you. Uh, yeah. I've been All looking right. forward to it for a long time, <laughs> and um, I'm so glad that we could we could connect. And I just I really appreciate your insight. And and I I think I want to pursue this thing uh, maybe in a little while. Uh, with David Garibaldi. I think that would be just, I think that would be super cool. And I'll, I'll check back with you to see if you have the time or the interest. Uh, in that. Okay. Absolutely. Please do. Uh, I mean, he's, he's an incredible interview. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So articulate and passionate and just like, he's just as, as well as, as you are as well. I just, I just feel like this, I'm just gonna, I just sit back and just hit record and uh, <laughs> I'm giving you the best I got, Matt. So, well, I, I thank you. I thank you so much for this. Not at all, man. And you know, Noah. Actually, actually, I was happy to hear from Noah. Not only because we go, we go way back. Noah's brother Adam mm-hmm. used to work at the St. Paul Courthouse when, when my mom worked there. So wow. I've known the Levies for for quite a while. Like uh, I remember one of Noah's first gigs was at the Uptown Bar, and his band was opening for a band I was in. And uh, he was trying to tune his floor tom. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I had sort of developed my own sort of like way of like, well, here's what I do. You know, I kind of showed him and that's kind of, you know, that was kind of the first time we met. And it's like, I'm no expert on tuning drums or anything, but, you know, I know, I, I know what I, I know what I like, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. I gave him that. I'm sure he learned better after that from somebody who really knew what they were doing. But Noah's uh, easily, easily one of my favorite drummers from here, from, from Minneapolis and, 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 and elsewhere. He's really a world-class player. That's amazing. Well, we had a great conversation uh, uh, last month and, and I'm, I'm just, I've just really enjoyed picking apart the Minneapolis scene and, and the different players. Uh, Steve Gould was on. A, a oh yeah. I really enjoyed his insight and and playing and digging into it. it's it's just been such an education for me well michael thank you so much man i'm gonna cut you loose happy birthday again <laughs> thanks i almost day. forgot <laughs> yeah do you have plans are you gonna do anything 
Oh, other than probably a, a, a big steak for dinner and, you know, uh, probably, uh, you know, probably dinner in bed watching some. Uh, what was I just watching? Oh, Euphoria. I think I, I finished it, though. Uh, euphoria something you know so anything my, my wife is game for i'm game for but it'll be her and i love you it know, love it whatever it be it be but man thank you again <laughs> thank you for letting me run my mouth man somebody was gonna have to listen to me so i love it i love it i love it man <laughs> okay well, have a great rest of the week you too take care man thanks okay. so much see you right. bye-bye we'll bye so there you have it, my conversation with Michael Bland. Again, big thanks to uh, my buddies who helped me make that connection and get some ideas about what to talk about. And also, as you might have noticed, we've talked about David Garibaldi and the idea of kind of co-hosting and having a little roundtable with David. And I'm going to follow up and see if I can make that happen. And I will let you all know uh, how that's coming along. So... Uh, big thanks to Michael for his time. Stay tuned next week. Zach Albetta will be your host. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Uh, be safe, stay sane, and I'll see you around. Bye-bye.